Jody. My name is Isaac. And we're going to be doing a podcast called Assault Precautions. For like the fifth time, I think. Uh, it's easily the fifth time. I'm not sure. But, you know, it's a process. Podcasting's hard. Yeah. It's harder than you think. But, you know, both of us, myself and Jody, have figured out much more complicated things. Yeah, we're going to nail this. Probably today or, you know, November. Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday in November. So we are bringing you a podcast that we feel is pretty original in nature because we're going to approach a topic that we're not really aware that anyone else is doing. We work in the psychiatric field. Um, I'm an RN. I am a tech. I've been a tech for 10 years. And we are working with acutely psychiatric patients that are just from all walks of life um, with different diagnoses and different behaviors and that's kind of what we do every day yeah uh, I personally have worked with children with psychiatric issues severe abuse trauma and neglect and then you know your neuropsychiatric issues that they have you know autism spectrum disorder intermittent explosive disorder that kind of thing uh, um, uh, IDD, that kind of thing, and then, you know, TBIs, and then I have also worked a number of years with uh, acutely psychotic adults, uh, drug use, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, so I I feel like in my years I've uh, seen most of the psychiatric population that there is to work with in the psych hospital setting. I've worked with kids, too, and I I really enjoyed my time there. I now work in an adult uh, acute psychiatric stabilization facility where we get a pretty good mixture of patients. We get some walk-ins. We have some uh, drive-ins. We have some drag-ins. There are are drag-ins, Isaac, you know. get a lot of patients uh, that are brought in by law enforcement sometimes on uh, different types of emergency detention warrants or apprehension of a person without a warrant because basically the uh, law enforcement comes into contact with a patient that isn't necessarily breaking the law but is obviously uh, experiencing some type of difficulty psychosis uh, running in traffic um, not wearing pants at target yeah And, and not that they're not wearing pants because they're trying on new kinds of pants they're not wearing pants and they're checking out the produce which is not appropriate behavior you, well, yeah, and it goes in shades of appropriateness in the produce section there at Target. It really does. They've got their own set of laws there. But uh, no, basically, this little project that we're uh, we're starting here is that we're we're, we're trying to get some kind of uh, sounding board, uh, some kind of discussion, something that you guys can listen to um, as former patients former staff, current staff, or folks that are looking to be a staff in a psychiatric uh, facility or people that are looking to be a patient in a psychiatric facility, just to try and give some insight on the the ins and outs and what have yous of what it looks like to be in a psychiatric hospital, uh, both as a patient and as a staff. You know, because uh, the staff that are listening to this, we're, we're going to touch on some subject that you guys are used to or you might get some new perspective on. Uh, the patients that are listening to this, former patients, um, hopefully you're not a current patient listening to this because we need to have your uh, listening equipment confiscated. You're not supposed to have a cell phone, buddy. You know, you just go ahead and take that to the nurse's station. Do, do the right thing. Do the right thing. <laughs> and, you know, the I think Isaac would agree that the overall 
theory behind this entire concept of, of creating a podcast of this nature is to try to shed some light on how facilities like this operate, how patients get into these uh, hospitals, what type of patients come in, the nature of their conditions, what type of treatments provided, and really what the overall outlook is for these guys. I think it's a great way to address several issues um, with the care that's being provided, not just in the state that we're at. And I guess I could just go ahead and say that we're in Texas. But Are we? Uh, well, partially, usually. I'm in the state of confusion. <laughs> right, state of disorder. Yeah, alert uh, and oriented times one. Times, times two over here. Yeah. But it is, it's a fascinating look into the human condition. And, uh, you know, during clinicals and nursing school, when I did my psych rotations, I knew immediately that this was going to be my thing. And I started teching at a state hospital, uh, moved over to a private hospital and did some teching while I was finishing school and was just absolutely 100% certain this is what I wanted to do throughout. And I love going to work every day. And I'm, I'm satisfied with who I am as a person and what I'm able to share with patients and help bring them back to baseline. It, it is difficult though. I'm not going to get around. Yeah. This is, this is not an easy job by any means. Uh, if you want an easy job, go ahead and, uh, apply at target to work in the produce section. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we have a little inside joke that we call it the hit bit spit and shit show. And sometimes <laughs> it's, it's simultaneous on the unit, but, you know, it's just part of of psychosis, and it's part of the day, sometimes daily, and sometimes more than once when you have really, really sick patients and you're trying to bring them from where they're at to where they can hopefully discharge safely. And I know a lot of you guys out there that will be listening to this podcast are uh, well-versed in kind of how the, the daily milieu activity uh, is and what you see as you go to work every day and it's never really what you expect you know it's it's hard for people to wrap their heads around what it's like uh in a psychiatric hospital um if the only exposure you've had to it is shutter island and one flew over the cuckoo's nest you know it's it's i mean there are parts of those that are true it's like that but uh it's one of the first things I tell people when, whenever they admit to uh, whichever hospital I'm working at, um, uh, I ask them, have you ever been in a place like this before? And if it's yes, then I'm like, you know, I try to make them feel more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, okay, you know the drill. You're all right, man. We'll get you your toothbrush holder. you got to turn that back into me when you're done brushing your teeth. You know that. But if they're like, no, I've never been in like, that's when I pull them aside. And I'm like, okay, one of the first things I say is, it's not like you see on TV, okay? It's not going to be completely nuts and straight jackets and, and all of that business. Although it could be. So yeah. There are days where it gets like that. You know, and you have patients set some days when you'll go in and you'll accept report and you know three or four people on the board and you've cared for them before and you know where they're from and you know what their background and history is. But you, uh, you know... Constantly, you're seeing new faces of people that are having first-time psychotic breaks, or uh, you know, we see a lot of drug-induced psychosis, where they started a weekend one way, and by Sunday evening, it ended completely differently. Yeah, way different. 
And they, they don't have any exposure to, to an environment like that. And whether they're clear at the time or they're getting clear, it's still very shocking. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll, we'll also see these, like, we, we call them, because we're jaded and cynical in the field, we, we call them, like, lower level uh, cases. It's obviously not a lower level to those that are experiencing it. But then we get the, quote, lower level kind of stuff where uh, my wife left me. And I'm quasi-suicidal. I don't necessarily have a plan. I just don't want to be alive anymore. And, you know, I come into a psychiatric hospital because I don't think I can trust myself. I got a couple of guns at home. And, you know, let me just check in somewhere. And I'm having some stinking thinking as a patient. Eloquently put it to me one time. He was was having some suicidal ideation over a divorce. And and, uh, he said, I'm just having some stinking thinking. I like that. Maybe a little minimizing on his part, but those are some of my favorite patients that come in that are, you know, we call that major depressive disorder, whether it's recurrent, severe or single episode severe of people that, you know, they have probably been experiencing this for some time, whether they've had some change in their family dynamic or they're suffering through a divorce or loss of a child or, you know, we've heard all the stories. We've seen all the different scenarios play out and, it's uh, it's important for us to approach those as what they are for the patient, which is generally the worst day of their life. It's not Tuesday. You know, we look at, well, you know, it's our second shift. It's Tuesday. We're going to go into work. We're going to see who we meet. But it's very important to understand and identify with the patient that it isn't Tuesday for them. Sometimes it is Tuesday. Well, it could easily <laughs> coincide, Isaac. I'm not sure that a lot of the patients that are going through that at some point, and like I say, I have a special place for the MDD patients that come in that are just an absolute crisis. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, of course, you know, use that Columbia scale and we're going to gauge how suicidal they are. And, of course, a lot of those patients come in very high and you're doing scales on them all the time. But I love to be able to take those patients and try to just plant some type of seed of something that they can hold on to because that little seed is easy to roll into a giant mountain of things that they can attach to and really start to turn things around. Yeah. And I know the, the, the veterans in this field that are hopefully listening know what a Columbia scale is, but you um, former patients or perspective patients or just folks that are being voyeuristic and want to hear about this subject. What's the Columbia scale, Jody? Well, Columbia scale is, it's the Columbia suicide severity scale rating. And it was developed at the university of Columbia to try to gauge uh, an individual's suicidality and how dangerous or how much of a risk they are to themselves. How, where do you fall on a scale of people who are potential completers you know, it, it looks at things like how many attempts you've made, how many interrupted attempts you've made, what was the catalyst event for, you know, bringing you to that point, and really kind of judging, were you trying to end your pain? Were you trying to retaliate against others? It's a really comprehensive scale that's become the industry standard, and, uh, you know, we do that on a lot of patients. Yeah, so um, those patients that might be hearing this, that's kind of what we're doing when we call you up to the nurse's station counter and you know ask you those questions that are you know like are you feeling suicidal on a scale of one to ten maybe uh do you have a plan to carry that out you know we're just trying to low-key fill out that columbia scale and reassess you i mean when are we require how often are we required to re-columbia these guys 
Well, so if I, as a nurse during my daily assessment, have a patient that voices suicidal ideation, that's one check. But once they begin to move beyond the passive stage and have some type of a plan, uh, we gauge that differently. And we'll do a Columbia on them every shift if we have to. to oh, yeah, just no, that's monitor fine. It. Yeah, no, we're just trying to get a we're just trying to get a read on you because you know, like like the scale suggests, suicidality is uh, scalar. You know, at one end of this uh, continuum, we've got um, my wife left me, and uh, I just don't feel like living anymore, which is kind of an abstraction. It's a feeling, nonetheless, and it's intense and it sucks. And then at the other end of the scale, it was like, uh, no, the police brought me in because my sister called because I um, I did barricade myself in the bathroom and I had uh, my shotgun in there and uh, you know like I had my plan I was gonna carry it out the only thing that stopped me was somebody intervened you know that's the other end of the scale and we're just trying to find figure out where you fall and it's exactly. hard sometimes yeah. you know to get those patients in. And I think every nurse kind of has a good feeling after they've done several hundred patients and they're talking to them about their suicidal ideation and where they're at and kind of how they're feeling and what their catalyst event was, you know. You have someone who, um, you know, we have a lot of homeless population who will call 911 and tell them that, you know, I'm just feeling suicidal, I want to jump off the bridge. And really, it does no service to the, to the population out there that's really suffering because in some instances, those they're just shelter seeking, and and bless their heart, they need to be in. It's eight degrees they outside; really, they're they hungry. Really do. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. But it's just you know, uh, there's just not a lot of care provided for that population. The state doesn't want to step in and take care of the problem. But that's very much different from uh, a lady who just lost her 16 year old son while he was driving to Walmart to get a birthday cake for dad. And happy uh, birthday, dad. Yeah, the you know the marriage dissolves, the business gets lost. You yeah. know the, the the house is in foreclosure, and they they're now you know drinking, and they they really are what I what I call and what a lot of us refer to as completers because yeah you know the, given the right circumstance and the right impulsivity, you, those are the people that you know you're going to find you know in the bathroom, uh, in the tub, you know, and they're done and they're not. They're not trying to get anyone's attention. They're just trying to stop the pain. No, the, those are the ones that didn't call anybody or send any kind of text messages and before that took calls. place. They yeah. made their they made their mind up, and when you're done, you're done. Yeah. So I I have my own personal kind of scale that I always consider, and I always try to talk to patients about, and I ask them where they're at. And you know, the the very first say number one, and it goes to four is, would you ever consider going to sleep and not waking up? Would that be okay with you? And, you know, you get a lot of people that will say, yeah, if it can be that easy and have to actively participate. Right. And then you have the twos that are like, well, I'm obviously going to continue to wake up, but life is not really working out for me. So I'm starting to begin to consider how it might happen for myself. Yeah. If I have to take care of it myself. Yeah. And stage three is you begin to reconcile property and relationships and what type of damage that might do to people that you care about, your children, your friends, your dog. And stage four is I'm looking to try to get the kids out of the house for the weekend. I'm buying razor blades. I'm stockpiling medications. I'm doing those things because I'm beyond three. I've reconciled um, how it's going to affect everyone. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm okay with it. 
So those are the really dangerous people, those three, three and a half fours. Yeah, which are which are hard for us to spot because they oftentimes are very adept at hiding that kind of thing from us in the field whose job is to sniff that kind of thing out. And, you know, sometimes it, it makes us feel like it's us against them, especially in their eyes. Uh, but, um, you know, we're we're just trying to help you. We're not trying to keep you alive to suffer. Absolutely. Although it feels like that sometimes. I totally get it. Yeah, well, you know, with a lot of those patients, the bipolar types that come off these big highs and whether they've, you know, been manic in an episode to where they've lost a lot of money or they've been hypersexual or they've done something that's created a, a really bad sense of shame or rejection in a family member or something that's happened where they just feel like there's no other way out. You know, you see it there or you see it in the really major depressive disorders of just time goes on they contemplate they finally reconcile and they complete so it's a tragedy and it's happening way 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 more than anyone really considers it's the number two leading cause of of teenagers i didn't know that yeah 18 to 25 um accidents are number one because of course they think they're immortal and can do anything and then second they are immortal they are all highlanders i've met a number (laughs) of teenagers they are all immortal every one of them i like i I like the Highlander theory better than, you know, the the hormonal change and the the angst and the development of your your own personal identity where we're not coping well. And well, that's know. just a hypothesis. Highlander was a documentary, Josie. You know that. It, it, I I think the original from '78 was wasn't that <laughs> Scottish. I think it was a documentary. Yeah. If it's from Scotland and it's from 1978, it's a documentary. <laughs> it's all documentaries yeah, in 78 Scotland. Every, everything. They didn't make anything else. Also, that's something that you're going to uh, learn about Jody and I is that um, working in this uh, line of work has broken our sense of humor. So, you know, it may feel like sometimes we're making light of things that are serious issues. But uh, honestly, and again, those vets that are listening um, are going to understand that uh, you wear humor like armor because we are dealing with some of the most complicated and some of the most dangerous behavior in the human condition. So that's why you, uh, you know, former patients and prospective patients, that's why you will see that a lot of us that work in psych fields are really funny. I think, you know, as a human, uh, just being a person, I think I do all of my best stuff that I would want my friends to see at work. And then when I'm outside of work, I have this uh, sort of tiny black heart that lasts at the most inappropriate things and drinks a lot of really good beers. Uh, I, I kind of carry that with me at work, too. Not the beer part, but the laughing at inappropriate things. Yeah, there's a lot of inappropriate stuff, though, right? There's a lot of inappropriate stuff. Cause, tell, uh, tell, us, tell us about your book, Isaac. My book. Okay, so I am a collector. And uh, I guess... A, around 10 years ago when I started in this field uh, and, and I had never done it before. I just jumped in, uh, you know, feet first. And, um, I realized very immediately, probably within the first shift that, Hey, guess what? People in the psychiatric field say things. So many things. Sometimes they're going to say things that are bizarre and hilarious and weird, very, very weird. Uh, so I started writing them down, you know, and of course I'm not, uh, you know, 
attributing a name to each quote or anything like that. I protect their privacy because it's, it's a little bit funnier since it's out of context anyway. Uh, but over the years, I, I have been collecting these patient quotes and it, I just kept doing it and kept doing it and, you know, got a couple of my colleagues involved in a couple of the hospitals I'm working at and they'll, and they'll like, they'll bring me a post-it note and be like, hey, check this out. I heard this earlier during group. It's really good. And we're on a couple of thousand now. And, uh, you know, on a slow day, you'll get one or two patient quotes. And, uh, man, I've had days where I've filled up an entire front and back piece of paper from just one guy. I think I've lost some really good quotes because I just lost the post-it. God. You know, you just yeah. scribble it down when you can. So I, I haven't even written some of them down. It's just difficult. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that feeling because, like, when you hear it, it's it's so you know detached from reality. Like, if I don't write this down, I'm not going to be able to recount it because it, it it's not even like a proper syntactical sentence or, or like how long can a cheetah can have fast? Yeah, that is an interesting question. But if I don't write this down right now, I'm not going to be able to remember it when I get back to my backpack on the unit and write it down. So, do you have a quote for us that sticks out? Well, uh, how long can a cheetah can have fast? That's one of them. My, I think the last one I wrote down was about three or four days ago, and a patient approached me and uh, wanted to have a private conversation. So I, of course, came out of the nurse's station. We started walking down the milieu and went down the, the unit hall. And she looked at me just with this super steadfast glance, and she's like, I just urinated. So I can't have a baby with good eyes now. You hate to see it. That's tragic. Yeah. It's millions of families suffer every year. I assure her that, you know, even though she had just urinated, that if she wanted to still have children with some type of, you know, visual acuity, that was going to be possible. I like the way you put that. That was good. Well, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to process with my patients, Isaac. Yeah, I understand. Uh, you got to meet these guys where they are, even if where they are is word salad and, for lack of a better word, nuts. If they are nuts and nothing that they say makes sense and they're just opening their mouth and this stream of disorganized consciousness, these 14 Ds come yeah. out. Uh, you know, meet them where they are. So if, uh, you know, you're not going to get very far with the psychotic patient who's talking about, uh, if I urinate, I won't have a, a, a kid who can, who can have good eyesight. Like it's not going to be effective for you to sit down and go, listen, that's not something that makes sense. Yeah. Reality orientation is absolutely appropriate when it's appropriate, when it's appropriate. But sometimes there's a bigger issue and sometimes just making that patient feel comfortable and smiling and reassuring them is what they need in the moment. Yeah. So you end up in the weirdest conversations sometimes that are completely therapeutic on one side. Yeah. But it sounds ridiculous. But, you know, you're keeping them engaged and they feel listened to even if exactly. nothing they say makes sense to you. It's just words strung together with repeating ideas and and a lot of it is about Kennedy and microchips and 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 intellectual property and cerebros. You know, there are a few topics that I think uh, that are just recurrent in this field. And it seems like when we get the really paranoid, delusional um, patients that come in, there's a few things that just tend to recur over and over and over again. And 
you know, we had a guy one time that called the gas company out to dig up all the gas lines in his backyard. Uh, because, like you do. Like you do. Because he was absolutely certain that the CIA was running fiber optic cables through those and into his house for surveillance. I mean, there's really only one way to find out, and you got to get those gas pipes up. Well, you know, they were declined on removing the gas lines. However, he did attempt to remove some gas lines, and there was a minor explosion. Oh, my God. Well, it, like like happens. Yeah, of well, course, the gas company came back out. If you want to get them out there. Well, you know. he greeted them with a the hatchet on his back porch, unfortunately, oh and the sheriff came out, and there was another conversation had, and then, you know, of course, he makes an admission. And, and then you're doing a Columbia scale on Yeah, I was did a little bit, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> nice guy. Yeah, these guys are these guys are nice. You know, they can't they can't help it. Even when they do these uh, crazy things like greeting the uh, Atmos Energy Gas Company guys, come to check out those pipes leaking in the backyard, and if you greet them with a hatchet, you know, you know, you, sometimes you got to remember that that's that's sick too. You know, sometimes sick can be a high fever or a high blood pressure or a high blood sugar or low of any of those things. But sometimes sick is uh, pantsless in the produce section at Target. Yep. Screaming at plantains. And I think that that's where there's a huge disconnect um, with people that aren't necessarily in this field because they see a certain behavior or a certain patient uh, in, involved in some certain activity, which is off limits to them, something they'd never consider. And uh, maybe it's violent, maybe it's hypersexual, maybe it's, you know, for lack of a better term, just completely crazy. And they just scoop them up sometimes with great fervor and we get patients in with bruises and handcuff marks and scrapes and, you know, scratches all over them. And these patients are just sick. It's, it's no different than having a tumor or having a, like you say, high blood pressure or diabetes. There's a, there's a chemical imbalance. There's sometimes an organic brain injury, but whatever, whatever the root cause of that, we have individuals that are not acting uh, what I guess people would consider norm. They're not functional in society and they're treated very differently. Right. And, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't come to people's minds, the lay person's minds that that person is sick. There's a difference between, between sick and crazy. That's why we have the word crazy is because we have something, we have a differentiation between sick and crazy. But yeah. And I, don't you see these patients being, um, they're just treated differently. There's a disconnect between people that are coming into contact with them. They're discounted in a way. Right. They're treated harshly because, I mean, what, are you going to tell on me? Because who would believe you? Exactly. And you know, and, and I had an interaction with a nurse uh, a few months ago that, that that's probably going to, you know, stay with me for the rest of my life the way that she put it it was it was very she said she's an older nurse she's in her 60s she's been doing this for 25 years uh you know super great uh rapier sense of humor you know just very sharp dangerous destructive she's great she's wonderful um and i had a couple of patients in my day room who are throwing food all over the place and screaming and yelling and cursing and and some of it is directed at people some of it is directed at people we don't see some of it is just cursing at ideas or just cursing for the hell of it because they can't help it and um my 
nurse on the other unit that I'm talking about, she hears it through the wall and she says to me, how come your nurse isn't giving them any medicine? There's no sense in letting those guys run around and suffer like that. And I was like, man, that's, that's such an awesome way to look at it. Cause that's what that is. These guys that are throwing oranges and lobbing them at my med nurse, Jody in the med room. And he's ducking, you know, tangerines flying at him. Literal tangerines, literal tangerines, not figurative tangerines. We have those in the back. Um, because that's just another way that people suffer is that kind of stuff, too. I would love to have some people come into the hospital, um, whether they're associated with this patient on his, on his admission or not, and have them look at how this patient came in and then look at them on day four, day five, after they've had medications and after they're beginning to resolve and have another conversation with them and find out just exactly how different they are. Right. I'm not saying that they won't throw any tangerines at you. I'm just saying that they there's a good chance that they will throw less tangerines at you. Right. Or so, they'll choose a softer fruit. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's a process. So you have some patients that respond to medications and some people that partially respond to medications. And, you know, it's... Well, you know, sir, he's no longer swinging an axe at random bystanders, but he does still have his pants on. Yeah. You know, it's the little things. It's the little victories. Everybody got their pants on today. We did all right today. Right. So, you know, this is, I, I guess, been a pretty good sampling of kind of really what we're trying to bring. There's This podcast has so much potential to really address the psychiatric hospitalization of, of, of citizens, how it works, um, different conditions. We're going to have some psychiatrists on. We're going to bring in some social workers and therapists and maybe even some patients and people that have been exposed to this from all facets to really kind of give some feedback in. And I hope that there's a lot of identity out there for people that are listening. You'll hear some opinions you may or may not agree with. You'll hear some You'll sometimes you'll hear Jody and I come in after a really bad day and we're in a bad mood and maybe we've got some heated opinions about it. Uh, maybe you'll hear something inappropriate and funny. Maybe you'll hear something that's really hard and gut wrenching and really, really emotionally exhausting on Jody and I or yourself or our guest. You know, we're gonna we're gonna swing around here on uh, things being heavy and things being light and things being funny because that's the nature of this line of work is that sometimes it's funny and it's weird and there's tangerines and jokes about it, whatever. But then sometimes, you know, we may come home and we have a patient who successfully hung themselves in their bedroom in our hospital on our watch and they died while, you know, we were trying to take care of them. It's and all points in between. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be light. We're going to cover some stuff. We're going to have a couple of beers while we do it. Probably. We're going to use some language that might be choice. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to happen. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. So, you know, in, in, in light of kind of what you're saying there, Isaac, when we look at medical nurses and we look at the medical workflow of certain floors or different specialties, if a person comes in and acute renal failure, there's a process there. There's a protocol. There's uh, what's called, you know, standard practice. And, um, you know, there are procedures that can be done. And everyone's pretty much on the same page as to how to care for those patients. That's not the case when you have a 
person that's coming in and drug-induced psychosis that's swinging both fists and angry about being held against their will on a court order. By Barack Obama. <laughs> well, Barack Obama's been sending a lot of people in lately. You know, he's, know what his he's, deal is. He's, well, he's got the time on his hands. He's not the leader of the that's of the nation anymore. Now, he's, now he's implanting microchips in the milk of all these people that they're picking up at the Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, it's an issue. Yeah. But We're I think get to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah. But I think of overall, I guess what we're trying to get to is that in the psychiatric field, it's not really cut and dry. And while there is uh, some best practices and certainly we, we, we can identify certain diagnoses and certain behaviors, we want to try to be consistent in the way that we treat these patients. But you have different interpretations. You have different people that get triggered in different ways. I've seen nurses uh, come in and quit. On, during a shift because they just got too much or they've been working too much or something happened that yeah. they just can't process. It's just too much for them. Yeah, you've seen that. That's why we have so much of a high turnover in this line of work. I, I see nurses come in and they quit on their second day on the floor because you think this is for you until you come in and you put your feet in it and you go, oh my God, this yeah, is not what know, I thought that, it was. That's that first spit in the face or that first, uh, you know, strike that someone, you know, gets on you or. And that's just, that's just your coworkers spitting on you. That You <laughs> haven't even stepped out into the milieu yet. This is this is your coworkers. Yeah, but certainly it's difficult. And I think that we've discussed this before when we see people on orientation, you know, in there. You can almost tell, you know, who's going to come in and who's yeah. going to be good because it's just a certain person, I think, that that has the empathy and the insight to deal with these people and the communication skills and the ability to tie all of that together to really identify with these patients where they're at and to try to bring them along. Right. So that's kind of what we're doing. We hope you guys enjoy the show. We're going to just be loading all of the different topics up next week. I'm hoping to really touch on a Robert Sapolsky uh, lecture series. Yeah, the Stanford one where he's really approaching some conditions. And I'll, some, I'll listen to the whole thing. I'll do my homework. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. The, Robert Sapolsky. Yeah, I, I don't just, know if you guys have seen Robert Sapolsky's beard, but it is it's majestic. Oh, it's half. It's like Grizzly Adams caveman style. It's, it's like if Grizzly Adams beard and Charles Manson's beard and a tumbleweed from Tuscaloosa. Yes. All got together. <laughs> right. And then we're in a windstorm and... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they were in a windstorm and they rolled through Chicago. But it's that kind of stuff. Uh, Robert Zapolsky is, of course, brilliant. And he, he's got a really good lecture series out that really confronts a lot of the things. He's just uh, brilliant talking about major depressive disorder and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. And uh, we're going to be approaching topics like that and bringing, you know, some of you guys that either whether you're in the field or, or you're not, some information that maybe you knew or maybe you didn't. But we're just trying to normalize mental health care yeah we should definitely normalize this thing because it's not even if it were halfway normalized we feel a lot more normal i don't feel very normal with what the things that i see sometimes that's for sure i think we're pretty well adjusted and i you know i i'd like to think that i'm not necessarily as shockable as the average ordinary citizen but i've been shocked lately he says that he feels like we're pretty well adjusted i am i don't have pants on right now <laughs> yeah but you never wear pants that's true it's hot <laughs> well anyway i gotta go to target and see about some produce very well isaac yeah so you guys uh we'll see you guys next week we appreciate you listening and um one thing that we're going to make a big part of our show is 
no matter where you're at, if you are feeling like you are a danger to yourself and you're at your wit's end and you think that no one's listening, know that there's always going to be someone out there that will listen to you. The National Suicide Hotline is open 24 hours a day. They're taking phone calls. They will listen to what you have to say. That phone number is 855-242-7541. And above that, if, you're not, uh, if, if you feel like the, the concept of the National Suicide Hotline is a, uh, is a little disconnected or something, yeah, you know, I'll go as far as to say that uh, you can contact us the information on our website and uh, we can get you plugged in to the right people you can email the right people you can call i will find you a local psychiatric hospital in your area you just tell me what it is you tell me what's going on we're gonna fi- we're gonna figure something out for you yeah there are a ton of links on the website the national suicide hotlines on there there are links to the robert zapolsky lecture series there's a there's a good information uh, on that website we're adding to it all the time we're about to start a Twitter account so we can kind of get a little bit more feedback from you guys. But we want the show to be not just about us. We want it to be about you. We'd love to start including some of you in this and, you know, maybe some emails. And There's some- a couple of cookbook links on there that I think are arbitrary. <laughs> but, you know, we're just trying to, you know, darts in the dark. We're just throwing things out there. Right. I'll start checking that Earthlink account and we'll see what's in it. <laughs> yeah, my... My MySpace mail is just blowing up. I'm telling you, I, I still get notifications for it. It's bizarre. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Toodles. Toodles.